I'm Corey Miller, here with Frank Cusimano, and I said last week, right when we were getting done, I hope we have baseball to talk about next time, and my prayers were answered, we do have baseball to talk about, a lot of baseball to talk about, we're going to have a season, it's not really what anybody wanted, many sides, but they're making the best of the situation they're in now, we're going to have baseball, Frank. I think that because it was so bitter and so acrimonious, we're thinking that it could linger into this 60-game sprint to the finish. But, Corey, I talked to a couple of people, and it's the last thing on their mind. Starting late July, it's not going to be about negotiations. It's going to be about pure baseball. So let's get to some of the, uh, the key topics of this. You mentioned it's going to be 60 games. Or, yeah, 60 games within a span of 66 days. So this is going to come fast and furious. The season's supposed to start July 23rd or 24th. Not sure yet. The Cardinals are going to report uh, for spring training 2.0, if you will, at Bush Stadium on July 3rd. So that's coming right around the corner. Uh, hopefully these guys are in baseball shape. I know a lot of the people, the guys you have talked to, have been able to stay in shape throughout the, all this uh, going on. Absolutely. You got a guy like Paul DeYoung who uh, got to spring training before it started to work with Colton Wong. They worked through spring training. And then, you know, when the stoppage came, Wong moved back here and he told Paul to come back. So they've been working out on the field together, either at SLU or at Bush Stadium, and then going to Colton's house, you know, to lift weights. Uh, DeYoung told me today that uh, that Kim and Wainwright have been throwing BP and that Wainwright talks trash when he gets him to you know, swing and miss at that curveball. But I, I think a lot of these guys are going to be really ready. This is not like the old days of baseball when they'd show up at spring training 20 pounds overweight. These are finely tuned athletes who've already gone through one spring training, and they'll be ready to go. So, points. there's going to be a designated hitter in the National League for the first time ever. So, the Cardinals get a DH. Um, we're going to get in extra innings, uh, what they've been trying at some lower levels, a runner's going to start on second base to start the inning to maybe get some of these games done faster. No expanded playoffs. Uh, that didn't end up happening, so we're going to get the same playoff format. Uh, I, I uh, as a baseball uh, purist, I guess I would call myself, although that sometimes gets a bad connotation. I don't like the DH. I don't like the extra inning rule, but it's baseball, and I'll take whatever I can get right now. Yeah, that's, that's the thing that, you know, we asked a lot of um, our listeners today, yes or no, are you happy that baseball is back? And I'd say it's 45% no, but I think the, the nature of talk radio is negative anyway. But a couple of those things you just mentioned, um, you know, I used to be a really pro or anti-DH guy, but you know what? I looked at Dakota Hudson's offensive uh, prowess today. He's an 077 hitter. I think I'd rather watch Tyler O'Neill hit than Dakota Hudson. And this rule where you start the runner on second base in extra innings, you know, we made fun of it. Almost everybody in the media has made fun of it. But I'll tell you what, uh, I've talked to and listened to players. They all like the idea. Matt Carpenter brought up an interesting point today. He says, if we start with a runner on second and Paul DeYoung comes to the plate, he goes, there's no way Mike Schilt is going to make him bunt. Will he? So there's going to be some interesting questions coming up. You know, if you got a runner on second, nobody out to start the inning, and you got your bopper up, what do you do with it? 
Matt on Facebook uh, has a question asking what the odds the Cardinals get to the playoffs are, which I think leads into the next thing I was going to talk about. Uh, the Cardinals are going to have one of the easiest schedules of any team in the majors for this 60-game stretch. They get to play the NL Central and the AL Central, both which have uh, a few teams that really aren't going to put up, that shouldn't put up that much of a fight. So I, I think they can really make some hay. They have to get off to a fast start, obviously, with not this many games. But they're in the perfect situation if they want to make the playoffs. They, they can make some hay against they're going to play the Royals. They're going to play the Tigers. They're going to play the White Sox, who are probably going to be good in a few years but aren't quite there yet. They're going to play the Pirates a lot. The Brewers haven't improved. So they really, for, the, for not making a whole lot of moves and people were kind of mad at them, they're in a decent spot with the team they have, I think. I think you're right, Corey. And, you know, the fascinating thing, and I think there's only a few teams that can say this, is if, if you start to have, go into a game with, like, two starting pitchers, you go one guy four another guy three, and you give it to the bullpen, the Cardinals have five, you know, legitimate starters, and then they actually have five guys who could be starting pitchers that you could pair with Jack Flaherty or John Gant with Miles Michaelis, or Kim with Wainwright. And I think it'd be interesting to see what, what Mike Schilt does when he has these, these dual starter nights. Does he put the guy who's most different uh, than the original starter? I think he could really have some fun. And I don't think there's any team in baseball that's got five starters and then five guys who could also be starters. I mean, Alex Reyes, he could go three or four innings, you know, every fourth or fifth day. So I, I, Mike Schilt has got an interesting squad to play with here. That's a good point, Frank. Depth is going to be their biggest asset, especially. So they're going to be able to carry 30 guys on the active roster when the season starts. That'll be dropping by two, I think, incrementally as, as a couple weeks go by. But they'll be able to stack that team with a lot of arms, and that pitching depth is, depth is going to come in big. Uh, let's get to a question. Uh, Carrie Sue is asking, is this going to be a legitimate World Series title for somebody? And I listened to your DeYoung interview a little early, so I, I like what he said. It's not like one team has an advantage. Everybody is dealing with the same things right now. So uh, you can call it illegitimate if you want, but this is the best that they can do when everybody's under the same set of rules. You're going to go through a DS. You're going to go through a league championship series and a World Series. By the end of October, we are going to have a world champion. Definitely. Um, let's get here. I was going to bring this up too. Dylan Carlson is the big question here. Uh, I wrote a story yesterday. It's 60 games. I think you got to field your best lineup for as many of those games as you can, and I think Dylan Carlson is in that lineup. Uh, service time is going to be called into question for sure. They're going to hold him back a little bit. But I think this team's got to put their best offensive lineup out there and Dylan Carlson is definitely in it. What do you think? Well, I, I see your line of thinking, but I also listened to the president of baseball operations, John Mozeliak, and that's not his line of thinking. They feel they have to play Vader. They feel they have to play O'Neill and find out about Lane Thomas right now. So um, would it surprise me if Dylan Carlson is on the roster? Uh, not at all, but it would surprise me if he's in the starting lineup opening day. How short of a leash do you think 
these guys have, though, because obviously in a 162-game season, you could roll out with all those guys to begin. If then if 100, 200 bats down the road, they're not working out. It makes sense to go to somebody uh, as hyped as Carlson. But they don't have that luxury this year. What is What do you think the leash is going to be for, like, a Fowler or even a Bader? Well, it's a fascinating question. I think that there's only four guys that you have a long leash with, and that's Yadier Molina, Paul Goldschmidt, Colton Wong, and Paul DeYoung. The other four, the three outfielders and Matt Carpenter and the DH, you know, they're going to have to perform right off the bat. And I do think Matt Carpenter is going to perform. Maybe I'm a little bit of a Carpenter homer, but I see a guy six years was the top on-base percentage player uh, in terms of leadoff hitters in all of baseball. I see a guy who spent the entire offseason. He basically said there hasn't been one day since the stoppage where he didn't work. He's worked with his father, Rick. He's going back. He's going to be fine. But heading into this season, with what he did last year and his age, he's on a short leash along with the entire outfield. You know, I, I agree with you uh, on that Carpenter uh, line of thinking. And as he told you today, he's happy he gets to, well, not happy he's missing baseball, but he gets to skip over those early months when he usually doesn't do very well, get right to these hot summer months uh, where he usually heats up. And Matt Carpenter, we've seen what he can do in a short stretch of time if he really gets hot. And I don't think we're going to see him that hot, but I'm expecting him to bounce back, especially he'll probably be able to be used as the DH a lot of the time, won't have to worry about playing the field. I uh, I would buy Matt Carpenter's stock right now because it's, it's it's buy low and I think you can maybe sell high. Yeah, anything that you can do for Matt Carpenter to avoid the month of April, it's the only month in his career where he's below 800 OPS. And, you know, he basically said today is, hey, this is the best thing ever. I, I don't have to hit in April anymore. And, you know, Corey, I think part of it is when you don't have batting gloves – and you're facing 95-mile-an-hour heat in 38-degree weather, man, that would be really difficult to hit. And so, yeah, Matt likes it nice and hot at Bush Stadium. Let's get uh, – what's the latest you're hearing? It seems like in the past few days uh, there might be a push to get some kind of fans to watch games at some point this year. What's the latest you're hearing on any fans being able to watch any kind of Cardinal game in person this year? Well, I was shocked uh, the other day when I called Joe Strom in the morning, who's an outstanding uh, manager in the Cardinals organization. He's handled tickets for years. And he thinks that, you know, they're going to work with the city and there's a reasonable chance that there's going to be 10 to 14,000 people at Bush Stadium sometime this season. Do I think it's going to happen like in late July and early August? No, but you know, I guess it all depends on the COVID numbers, but they think there's a reasonable chance of having those fans in there. That's It's wild. I mean, think about Matt Carpenter's career, that he's never had one season where he didn't play in front of 3 million people, and there's a chance that he won't play in front of any people at Bush Stadium this season. It is definitely, uh, definitely going to be weird. All right, everybody, if you're just tuning in, uh, Corey Miller here with Frank Fusimano. We are talking about everything baseball going on. We have had a lot of news the last couple days because we know baseball is coming back. Uh, do any of these, I know neither you or, you or I are not doctors, of course, do any of these new kind of blow-ups and cases in some organizations with a bunch of guys testing positive, it, 
do you think they plan for this, or is this something to be uneasy about that we might be getting excited about nothing? Yeah, no, I think it is something to be uneasy about because there were 40 cases last week, not just players, but players and major league personnel. And I don't think they anticipated that high of a number, you know, as they begin to open the season. But I do think, and look, if, if you are at risk or if you're a little bit older, boy, just be careful. But I do think if you look at the numbers, like people 25 and under, and the chances of them getting significantly ill after getting COVID, the, the percentages are not real high. So they're going to give this thing a shot. Now, who knows? It may all blow up and this season may be over, you know, two weeks after it starts, but they're going to give it a shot. I thought it was interesting what Matt Carpenter said. Uh, he's talked to a lot of people on the team and they've kind of decided their risk is worth it. They want to come back and play that bad they're not really worried about that he was pretty pretty adamant about that stance it felt like yeah I think most players are but as as I was trying to say before before we had a little technical issue what about the Cubs Corey with John Lester and Anthony Rizzo who are both cancer survivors what Mm -hmm. about players who have pregnant you know wives at home I think there's going to be some people that are going to opt out in this. And I think the Cubs are going to be one of the more fascinating teams because we know how important those two have been to that organization for a long time. That's a really interesting point. And I think I saw a quote from Dusty Baker. He said he's got, because he's one of the oldest, if not maybe, I think he is the oldest manager in baseball. He's got 100 different masks. He's got a whole bunch of different gloves he's planning on using. Uh, Man, I... Dude, I feel for him uh, having to try and come into a new situation in Houston and deal with this at his age. Oh, that's going to be fascinating to see how that works out. Yeah, Joe Madden is not much uh, younger than he is. So, yeah, that's a couple of these older managers. That will be an interesting thing to watch. Let's get uh, to the other thing we got going on this week. You're counting down the biggest trades in St. Louis sports history every night at 5 o'clock. And I, I, as I'm looking through these, pretty much every one, almost every one I go, well, they don't win this championship without this trade. Well, they don't win this championship without this trade. All of these trades ended up in championships for St. Louis teams, it seems, just about. Yeah, the only one that didn't is Mark McGuire. But if you consider what they gave up, T.J. Matthews, uh, Blake Stein and Eric Ludwig, and then you got 240 homers in four years. That was pretty good. I got to tell you something. A lot of people are um, really interested in this. I get hit up pretty hard on social media. Some Blues fans are ticked off that the Ryan O'Reilly trade, I think, was only six. Was that number six, I think, Corey? Was it six or five? Yeah, that was six. Uh, yeah, and they're real ticked off. I said he's only been here for a cup of coffee, okay? Now, look, granted, I put it in my top ten. I put it in our top six, but everybody's really sensitive about it. Believe me, the Blues will be happy as they look at the, uh, the top two or three on this list also. the uh, It's just looking back, and we don't even – it's going to even look more lopsided eventually. Those two Blues trades especially that we've done already, uh, Shen for Laterra and then O'Reilly for Berglund, Thompson, and Sabotka – just how lopsided those look. At, at You look back, how did anybody even accept these? It doesn't make sense. Yeah, 
did did Buffalo not know that this guy was one of the elite players in the league and one of the great <laughs> leaders in the league? I, and did they look at what they were getting? Oh my goodness! It it's some of Doug Armstrong's finest work. And the Braden Shen trade was great. The Jory Laterra has uh, battled some serious problems in his life since the trade was made. Yeah, up in Buffalo, Patrick Berglund, I believe, is out of hockey now. Sabotka, I think, scored like two goals last year. And Tage Thompson has not been anywhere close to what people were thinking he might be yet. He's, he's still young, so there's still time for him to pay off. But uh, Buffalo, I think, is definitely having buyer's remorse up there. Let's see if we got any questions. And that's – Okay. Oh, go ahead, Frank. And that, that's part of the uh, theme for this. It's not only how good the player was for the city of St. Louis, but how little they got in return. Now, Ozzie Smith, you can make a case, could have been much higher on our list. But because the Padres got a pretty good player in Gary Templeton, who played a long time in San Diego and was a good player, we didn't put the Ozzie thing quite as high because San Diego got good value. But with these Blues trades... It was just a total fleecing. I think everybody in town knows what number one is going to be uh, for sure. You can tune in Friday. To yeah, there's a good out, debate at two and three, though. <laughs> you know, I haven't even yeah, seen I think, two and I think three one yet, is... so I'm not 100% sure. Okay. All right, I know you wanted to get to Mizzou football recruiting, and I got to tell you, I just before we went on, I just checked their rankings. And we haven't been able to say this very often, but here we are in late June, and Missouri's football recruiting is ranked 19th in the country, and Alabama's football recruiting is ranked 27th. And let me tell you something. If they get Lovett and Keontes Lewis, and they got a great shot because they already got their quarterback, Tyler Macon. This, you know, class, which is ranked 19th, could go to the top 15, which is insane. I mean, they already have 16 commits in June, and they're getting everybody in town that they want. I, I don't know what Drinkwitz is doing, but he and I think I give the entire staff credit. They are just, they're killing it right now. They are killing it. It does seem every day I wake up, I open my phone, I see Drinkwitz. Uh, tweeting out his little his little bat signal thing he does whenever he gets a new recruit. It seems like every day he's pulling somebody in, and this is without he can't visit any of these guys in person at the try and get them to come over. So he's doing this all from a distance. Uh, obviously, there were relationships built there, but I think you and I both thought this when he came in. Every every coach wins the opening press conference, but we knew we could tell right away this was going to be a guy that was not going to have a problem convincing kids to come play for him. Yeah, you're right, Corey. You know, if you're not like a six foot four former quarterback and you're an SEC coach, then you have strengths in other areas and his ability to communicate and to connect is insane. All right, we've been going for a little while here. Let's uh last thing here, I got the Cardinals cards. Let's do one. All right. Let's do one. I've been watching a lot of random uh, old games on MLB Network lady, lately. A lot of Cardinals ones popping up. I watched that uh, Sotoguchi homer off Billy Wagner against the Mets uh, today. That was a pretty good one. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Oh, wow, I can still remember that. Gosh, and Billy Wagner was 
invincible. He threw about 100 miles an hour. That was beautiful. They, uh, right before that, Joe Buck was giving out Wagner stats against the Cardinals, and it was just, it was one like the Ozzie Smith graphic that flashed up saying he never hit a home run left-handed before. Billy Wagner was completely dominant against the Cardinals for 15 years, and then they get him in the biggest game. The only other time I saw Wagner hit, uh, I think it was back-to-back Saturdays. This is during the McGuire home run thing. He hit one off Billy Wagner on a Saturday afternoon that went about 500 feet. Then the very next Saturday, he faced Rob Nen, who was equally as effective, and he hit another one 500 feet. It was insane. I think it was back-to-back Saturdays. All right, here's who I, I got here. I got Brian Jordan right here. Pretty cool-looking card. Uh, honestly, Frank, how good of an athlete was Brian Jordan? Is he in the top? Is he almost in the Bo Jackson, Deion Sanders uh, stratosphere there as just being an all-around amazing athlete? Well, the difference was that Brian Jordan was a better baseball player. I mean, Deion Sanders had really bad on-base percentages. and was never a great hitter. And Bo was a feaster fam. And Brian Jordan was a complete player. In McGuire's 98 season, look at Brian Jordan's stats. Spectacular. And he was a really above-average defensive back. One of the finest people I've ever known in sports, too. He w- he writes children's books. Strong Christian man. I love Brian Jordan. He's on TV for the Braves now, I believe, as well. And I think he does, yeah, he does a good host. job yep. there as well. Yep. We had him on the radio about two uh, two weeks ago. Yeah. All right, I think that'll wrap it up for this week on uh, Sports Plus Live and the Sports Plus Podcast if you're watching. We're going to have more baseball news coming out here. We don't know a schedule yet. Hopefully we'll have that next week. I'm not quite sure when there. I've seen conflicting reports. Could be a couple days. Could be a week or so before we know a schedule. So hopefully we have that to dig into here soon. Thanks for watching and tuning in, and uh, stay safe out there, everybody. Have a good night.